Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we come before you and we uh, long to hear from you. And Lord, as we come before you, we acknowledge that there's been a, a long war against you in this world, Lord. Um, it's a war of sin. It's a war of rebellion. And as we gather here this morning, we gather here to surrender. We gather here to confess our sins, to receive forgiveness, and then to be shown what life should be and how we should live it, Lord. We confess with the Book of Common Prayer that we have left things undone that should have been done, and we've done things that ought not to be done. And so we pray for your forgiveness this morning, Lord. Father, we pray that you would look to your right hand, look to your Son, who has is, who is paid for all of our debt, Lord, and forgive us because of him. And give us renewed hope and renewed joy in our salvation, Lord. We pray that you would stir us um, by your Holy Spirit this morning. And, and give us joy in your word that we would taste and see the goodness of you. Lord, we pray that this morning as we gather that people's gifts would be used and we would taste some of the power of the age to come as we gather. We thank you for this opportunity to meet, Lord. We love you and we pray that you would speak. And you pray, we pray too that you'd make us listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in our second week here in Proverbs, and uh, what we're going to do is take a topical approach. So we're going to go through and, and mine different topics. The series is called Love Wisely. It's a relationship series, so we're going to look at what Proverbs has to say about our various relationships. And um, the book of Proverbs was written by several different authors. If you look at chapter 30, there's a guy named Agur. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he doesn't care. He's dead. Yeah, but he wrote a ch- chapter 31. We've got his Proverbs. In Proverbs 31, we've got King Lemuel. He wrote down things that his mother had taught him, so there's Proverbs from him. But most of the Proverbs that are in here are are from Solomon. Solomon was uh, the son of King David. In 1 Kings 4, it says that Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs. So we just got a small amount of the Proverbs that he wrote here. It says in Proverbs 35 that some of these were actually compiled hundreds of years after Solomon's death, that they pulled together some of his Proverbs and, and put them in a book form like this. It was in the days of Hezekiah. Um, and these uh, Proverbs here, most of them written by Solomon, are for his sons, to teach his sons wisdom. Take a look at Proverbs 4.1. That's the passage we're going to be in. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. For when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me, saying to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you do, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. And she will place on your head a graceful garland. And she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And so we actually see three generations in this passage. We see um, Solomon speaking to his sons. But he's speaking something that his father, David, told him. And so you have this handing down of wisdom from father to son. Um, Solomon wrote these to impart wisdom to his sons. And we have on this card, on your invite card, it says that wisdom is skillful living that creates a life of beauty, significance, 
and strength. And when you go through the Proverbs, you find that. And, it's, and it covers big things like friendship and enemies and your relationship to money and your relationship to husband and wife and kids and parents and at work and how we deal with the poor and big things like that. But it also deals with little things. And when, you'll be surprised when you read through the Proverbs that there's stuff about like, you know that you really shouldn't talk loudly early in the morning. It bothers people. Um, Proverbs 27, 14 says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse, right? <laughs> like it's saying like, don't yell to your neighbor early in the morning. Some of you guys need to hear that. Some of you guys are morning people. I'm not. And you need to hear like, don't yell at us in the morning. Even if it's a blessing, it'll be taken as a curse, okay? Um, and so it, it covers small things like that. And it's a, it's a huge benefit, guys, to have a book of wisdom like that. They're all little short sayings, very memorable, very accessible. I'd suggest if you don't already have a Bible reading plan for this year, um, read through the Proverbs. And what you do, the classic one is to read the day of the month, right? So it's the 7th. You'd read Proverbs 7, tomorrow you'd read Proverbs 8, and then over the next two months you'd cycle through the whole um, of the Proverbs twice. And, um, it, but, you know, as I'm reading the Proverbs and I realize it's written by Solomon, there's something that kind of bothers me about the Proverbs. And the thing that bothers me about the Proverbs is the disconnect between Solomon's life and Solomon's teaching. Does that bother you guys? When you read in 1 Kings and you read about Solomon's life, and then you're reading a book on wisdom and you're thinking like, a lot of good it did him, right? So Solomon started off well. In, in 1 Kings 3.3, 3, it says that Solomon loved the Lord and he walked in the statutes of his father. And remember, God came to him and God said to him, what do you want? I'll give you anything. And he says, well, you know, you've made me this ruler of this people and I don't have understanding. I want wisdom. And God was so pleased with that. He said, you know, because you asked for wisdom and you didn't ask for, you know, long life or the, the life of your enemies or riches, he's all, I'm going to give you wisdom beyond anything anyone's ever seen. And on top of that, I'm going to bless you in every other way. So God is just excited that he asked for wisdom and he gives him wisdom. And so then we see in 1 Kings 4.29, it says that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and the wisdom of all of Egypt. And so in the beginning of his life, we see the fruit of that wisdom, right? And we see Solomon's life being blessed. We see the nation being blessed. We see people coming from foreign lands, like the Queen of Sheba coming. They want to hear his wisdom. I mean, he's having impact, not just in his own country, but outside of his country. Everything's going really well. But then what happens? First Kings 11, right? His heart turns away from the Lord. And it says in 1 Kings 11, verse 1, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. And the problem isn't a racial problem, that they were foreign women. It's, the problem is a religious problem. These are idolatrous people. These are people that worship other gods. And it says that uh, Solomon, he loved many foreign women, along with them the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittite women. He didn't have a type, apparently. And so he goes after all these foreign women. And it's said in the law that a king should not have multiple wives. They shouldn't have a whole bunch of wives. They should be faithful to one wife. And it was clearly forbidden that he would intermarry with people that don't trust in Yahweh, that are uh, uh, practicing idolatry. And it says that Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Okay, now you think, like, what's a concubine? A concubine is apparently um, somebody he could have children with that didn't have the same rights as a wife. Uh, not quite a slave, but definitely not a wife. And so this Solomon has 1,000 different sex partners, 
and people that are having children for him and stuff like that, and they're from all over the land, and they corrupt him. It says later in uh, 1 Kings 11 that Solomon went after um, the goddesses and the gods of other nations and, and offered sacrifices to him. His life, guys, was just a train wreck, total train wreck. And so here, if we believe that wisdom is skillful living that creates a life of beauty, significance, and strength, then we have to say that Solomon, the wisest man, became a fool. And here he is with 700 wives and 300 concubines, and he's worshiping other gods. And his, his children, who he wrote this to, didn't do well either. They, they warred, they split the nation in half. Um, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they split the nation in half. And so here you have Solomon writing these at about 950 B.C., by about 930 B.C., the nation's been split in half, 20 years later. Now, I hate to be such a downer. This is kind of a downer start, isn't it? But, you guys, it seems reasonable to ask the question, like, okay, we're going to have a relationship series. We're going to lo- learn about being wise in our relationships, and we're going to take advice from this guy? You know what I mean? Like, that's a reasonable question. I think some of us, when we read the Song of Solomon, and it's a, it's a book about marital love, and then you think, okay, but wait, what's this? What we're seeing is the beginning of his life. We're seeing a time when God blessed him with wisdom. And we need to realize, too, that when we read this, we're ultimately reading God's word, not Solomon's. Solomon was the instrument in writing these, but God is the author behind it. And I think one of the things that's really helpful for us as we think about Solomon and how he became a fool is to think about why. Because we could do the same thing. We could, we could be here every Sunday. We could be reading the Bible on our own. We could know wisdom, but end up fools. It happens. It happened to Solomon. So how do we avoid that? And I think the key is in this text. And the key is this. Um, wisdom must be loved, not just known. You've got to love wisdom, not just know it. Look at verse 5. And the, remember, these are the words of David. These are warnings to his son. He says this. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from my, the words of my mouth. And then listen, he speaks about wisdom as a woman. He says this, Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Whatever you do, get an insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and bestow on you a beautiful crown. Guys, wisdom must be loved, not just known. That's super important. Solomon knew wisdom, but he didn't love it, at least anymore. His heart drifted away. And remember last week, we talked about keeping your heart with all vigilance. He didn't keep his heart, and he, and he knew wisdom, but he didn't love it. Guys, you realize that the wise are known by what they love, and the, and the, and the wise are distinguished by what they delight in. It, what'll be interesting for you is as you read through the Proverbs, look for the words hate and love and delight and despise. Okay, it's a very emotional book. You think of wisdom, you think kind of dry and just kind of, you know, you should do this. Okay, good. No, there's a lot of emotion in here. What you'll find as you read through it is you'll find what the wise love and what the fools hate. You'll find what the wise delight in and what fools despise. There's a very strong emotional part to this. And so the wise are known by what they love. Um, in Proverbs 26, 11, it says that the fool loves foolishness like a dog loves vomit. This is one of the funner passages in here. And Proverbs is great. There's so much uh, like exciting illustration and metaphor and fun stuff in here, but this is what it says. Proverbs 26, 11 says, like a dog returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And I know this is flu season. A lot of you guys have had recent <laughs> experience vomiting, uh, which is nice for you. I have not thrown up in 14 years. And I don't intend to. So I'm super, like, I'll do anything to avoid it. But think about this. Think about how the fool, like a dog, you know, they'll eat something they shouldn't eat. They throw up. 
they come back to it, right? And they lick it up, and then what happens? They throw up again, right? And this is an illustration of fools and how they love foolishness. How much do you have to love foolishness to put yourself through that again? You know? And that's what foolishness is like. It, it, it beats you up. It's brutal. You know, John Wayne said that life is hard, and it's harder if you're stupid. You remember that? Have you heard that one? But it, it's foolishness it continually beats us up, but we keep coming back to it. Why? Because we love it, right? Love it like a dog loves vomit. And so um, the, the foolish are known by what they love too. But it says that the wise, in, in Proverbs 24, 13, it says that the wise love wisdom like honey. It says, my son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. The wisdom is like honey to your soul. And so the wise are known by what they love. They love wisdom like hidden treasure. It says in Proverbs 2, 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure. And so there's a delight, there's a love, there's a joy and wisdom that marks the wise. The wise are known by what they love. Um, uh, James K. Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love, which is a great title. I love it. And what he, what he said in the book is he said this. He said, discipleship, we might say, is a way of curating your heart to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. So discipleship is as much about hungering and thirsting as it is about knowing and believing. So the way we know we're growing in Christ is by our hungers and our thirsts and our loves and our delights. And one of them is that we would love wisdom. He, He goes on to say, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content just to simply deposit new ideas in your mind. He's after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. And we see that in this passage. Take a look at verse 6 again. He says about wisdom, he says, do not forsake her. A little bit later, he says, love her. A little bit later, he says, prize her. And then he says, embrace her. What does that sound like? What kind of illustration is he using there? Yeah, it's like marriage. It's like a romantic love. I mean, wisdom is like a woman that he's pursuing romantically. He, he prizes her. He loves her. He embraces her. Um, the Proverbs consistently talk about wisdom as a woman. You see that in chapter 2 and chapter 8 and chapter 9. There's the, I, there's the adulterous woman in there that we're to beware of, but then there's lady wisdom there too, and she calls out in the streets. It says in Proverbs 1.20, wisdom cries out in the streets in the marketplaces she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out at the entrance of the city saying, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And how long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If we're going to grow in wisdom in 2018, it's going to be by growing in love for wisdom, not just knowledge of wisdom. And so we need God to give us this love for wisdom, this almost romantic longing and yearning to know wisdom. And, and how do we do that? I think the Proverbs themselves try to stir this in us. As we're reading it, we're constantly being invited in to love what's here, delight in what's here. This morning, we're going to look at two things that stir our love for the Proverbs. And they are that, that we should love this book because it makes life work, which is a big theme in Proverbs. And we should love this book because it makes life beautiful. So those are the two things we'll look at. The Proverbs, the wisdom of the Proverbs makes life work, and it makes life beautiful. First, it makes it work. And we see that in verses 5 through 8. He talks about getting wisdom, and he says that if we, if we love her and we prize her and we embrace her, he says that she will keep you, guard you, and exalt you. You see that there? She will keep you, 
guard you and exalt you. What Proverbs is saying here is that if we, if we listen to the Proverbs and we apply its wisdom, that it will give us skillful living and life will go better. That's a common theme in the Proverbs, that life will go better. And life will go better because the Proverbs instruct us in how the world usually works. And the reason I say how the world usually works is because Proverbs are not promises. I think a lot of harm's been done by thinking that all the Proverbs are promises. Um, for example, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. That is not a promise, okay? Children are their own eternal persons. They make their own decisions. You could train up a child and he not go in the way of the Lord. It happened to God himself, right? And you think about Israel. You think about Adam. He had children too that didn't go the right way. But it is the way things usually work. If you train up a child in the way he should go, they will usually not depart from it. Another one, Proverbs 12, 11 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Okay, That's the way things usually work. Does it always work that way? No. And people that work their land really hard and a storm comes in or there's a fire or something and it's destroyed. But this is the way things usually work. They're not promises, but they teach us how the world usually works, which we need. You guys realize we need that? We actually need to be told how the world works. And that's not just because we're sinners. We need to be taught that because we're creatures. God created us and made us and put us in a world that he designed, and we need to hear from him how it works and how to live in it and what we're for and what we should be doing. We need instructions. Um, and we see that even in Genesis 2, before sin. God makes Adam, and he puts him in the garden. He tends, tells him to work it and to keep it. And You can eat anything here. Just don't eat that one tree, but everything else you can have. All this is yours. Have dominion over it. He gives him instructions. When you read through the Proverbs and you hear again and again and again, hear, O sons, your father's instruction, that's an echo of God speaking to Adam even, you know, saying, my son, okay, here's how it works. Here's what you need to know. Here's how to live in here. Here's how to keep the snake out of the garden, you know, all those kinds of things. He's instructing him. And so those are echoes of that. But unfortunately, Adam was not content to receive wisdom, right? Sound familiar? Didn't want to just receive wisdom. Wanted to go based on his own intuition and understanding and speculation. And that's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is about. It's a, it's a desire to go, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I hear your wisdom. But I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to decide for myself what's right and what's good. You guys see the foolishness in that? You guys see the foolishness in that? This is a newly minted creature. Okay, we don't even know how long he's been around, but, you know, days maybe. He's newly minted, and he comes into this place, and God tells him, okay, don't eat that. All this you can have, that, you don't want it anyway. And here's what you need to do. And he goes, no, 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 you know what, I think I know better. It's crazy, right? We see that in our own families, don't we? Anybody have a three-year-old, right? This is a newly minted creature. This creature doesn't know anything about this place, but in three years has decided that that creature thinks that they know more than their 30-year-old parent. It's crazy, but that's nothing compared to the craziness of us thinking that we know better than God. I mean, it, it's really prideful and foolish. You know, you can imagine, you know, the Lord just going like, buddy, you're new. Listen to me. Listen to my instruction. Um, and we tend to be like Adam in that way, and that's why we have this warning in Proverbs 3, 5. He says this in this famous passage, love it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. That's the problem, right? Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to, the bone, to your bones. You guys realize that the wisest thing you could do in 2018 is doubt yourself more and trust God more? You guys realize that? That's exactly the opposite of what the world will tell you. 
That's exactly the opposite of what feels smart. In our fallen condition, we feel like the smartest thing to do is to doubt God and trust ourselves, right? Something in you goes like, oh, no, no, no. You don't want to be naive. You don't want to be taken in. You don't want to be foolish. You trust yourself, and you doubt what he's saying. But wisdom is the exact opposite. Wisdom is to doubt yourself and trust God more. And look who you're trusting when you read the Psalms, uh, the Proverbs. When you read the Proverbs, you're trusting in the one that made the world. This world you're trying to live in successfully, he made it. And he's giving us instruction. It says in Proverbs 3.19, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth and by understanding established the heavens. Okay, what he's doing is he's going like, he's pulling, the, pulling rank on you, big time. He's like, you want to talk wisdom? This is, this is wisdom. By wisdom he founded the earth. And by understanding, he established the heavens. By knowledge, the deep broke open and the clouds dropped down dew. Guys, look at the Lord's wisdom in creation. You know, that should convince you that you should be listening to him, not to your own voices. I mean, think about plants. Okay, you think about it, just an ordinary plant in the field. An ordinary plant in the field, maybe a plant that's being grown for us to eat. As it's sitting there in the sun, it sucks water up through its roots, right? And then it sucks CO2 out of the environment. And you know what it makes? Sugar and oxygen. Isn't that amazing? It's just like a little factory and requires no maintenance. It sucks up water, it gobbles up CO2, and it pumps out sugar and oxygen. Do you know what you do? You eat sugar, you breathe oxygen, you know what you produce? CO2 and water. Is that amazing? That's amazing. This is an amazing system. It's elegant. It requires no, like, things to be put in. It just runs on its own, and it's been running for who knows how long in this way. I mean, your waste products are the thing that it fuels on, and then its waste products are your fuel. It's, it's tremendous. It's just amazing. Uh, have, have you guys ever noticed that the sun and the moon are roughly the same size to us? It's crazy. So as you look at it, you know, this, you look at the sun, not too long, <laughs> Look at the sun, you look at the moon, from our vantage point, it's roughly the same size. The sun, though, is 400 times bigger than the moon, but it happens to be 400 times further away as well. There's no reason it has to be this way, guys. I mean, there's a good reason for the sun to be as far away as it is. But there's no reason it has to look proportionally the same size. You know why it does? It's decorative. It's completely ornamental. It's so we can have eclipses. It's so the moon can sometimes go right over the sun and block it. There's no reason it has to be that way. It's completely ornamental. It's completely decorative. It shows his wisdom, guys. The world is full of the wisdom that he's put into designing this place. And when you read and memorize and apply the Proverbs, you are listening to the words of the one who thought of that. What a cool feature. I might have thought of it later, you know, like later there's an eclipse, you know, and it only does half. And I'm like, oh, would have made the moon just a little bigger. It would have been awesome because we just blocked it out and like people would freak out, you know, when they saw it, Right? It's something that's amazing, God's wisdom. And so we should trust him. He's the one that made this place. He knows how life flourishes. And of course, he knows how to live in this world now that it's fallen. Because we live in a world that's not the original world that was safe for people, right? We live in a world, guys, that actually is full of traps now because of sin. And he knows where all the traps are, and he's happy to point them out. Don't you love that? You know, when you're walking around in the dark, if there was like a huge pit like that you could fall in and die, you'd like some sort of sign there, right? You'd like some sort of flashing sign. The Proverbs are that. 
God knows where all the traps are. And so you hear tons of warnings. You think, why so many warnings? It's because there's a lot of traps in life, aren't there? There's a lot of holes you can fall in. We've already fallen in almost all of them, right? But he puts warning signs over money and work and friends and, and spouse relationships and relationships with kids and, and our own thoughts and feelings. And how do we do this without falling in a trap? And so over and over again, it's like, beware, watch out for this. You know, don't go that way. Don't hang out with that person. You know, all that stuff is a father going like, there's traps. This place isn't safe. Here's where all the landmines are. It's awesome, isn't it? Every time you open the Proverbs, what you're doing is you're confessing. You're saying, I don't know how to live my life, but you do. Teach me. That's humility, guys. And that's wisdom. And that's a love for wisdom. And so we, when we open the Proverbs and we study it and we apply it and we memorize it, what we're doing is we're doubting ourselves and we're trusting God. And Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Over and over again, you're going to go like, ooh, it's a good thing I listened to that. You know? And over and over again, you'll see that his word proves true. Um, loving wisdom is, is taking it in, trusting him that he knows better. So we should love wisdom because it, it makes life work. It, it keeps us and it guards us and it says it will exalt you and honor you. But there's another reason we should love Proverbs. We shouldn't just love Proverbs because it works. We should love Proverbs because it makes life beautiful. Take a look at verse 9. She, wisdom, will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. You should love the wisdom of the Proverbs because it makes life beautiful. As when you read through the Proverbs, you'll see that the life that it describes is attractive, beautiful life. And I think you should do that as you're reading through the Proverbs and you're reading through one a day or however you're doing it. You should think through, if I were to consistently live this, what would my life look like? You know, you need to see the beauty of the, of the Proverbs if you're going to live it out consistently. I don't think we will. I don't think we're going to live the Proverbs consistently until we're captivated by the beauty of the life it offers. You have to go look at it and go, oh, that would be the way to live. You know, you got to at least have that in. You got to have that like, oh, now this is wisdom. Like, I would, or you could do this. You read the Proverbs and you go, is this the kind of neighbor I'd want next door? Is this the kind of friend I'd want? That life is a beautiful life. You've got to desire it like that. Um, it says in, in verse 6 and 8 that we need to love her and prize her. And, and if, if we don't love her and prize her, we're not going to embrace her and we're not going to give her our lives. And guys, Solomon's sons, they didn't embrace his Proverbs, did they? Because they never saw the, that beautiful life in their father. There's a little bit of the parenting message right there. I don't even have to expound on that. But um, Solomon failed to love wisdom, and so he failed to live wisely. And he failed to have a life that was attractive to his own kids. I mean, they're not, they're, they listened to it. They followed his life. They didn't follow his Proverbs, which is the way it works, by the way. They will follow your Proverbs if, if they can follow your life as well. And, 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 but he failed to do this. He, failed, he taught it, but he didn't live it. Sad. It's a sad story. But you know what's awesome? Is about a millennia later... A man was born that did live the Proverbs perfectly. And, and this is what Jesus said about himself. In Matthew uh, 12, 42, Jesus said this about himself. He said, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Isn't that amazing? You can imagine the, the Jewish people that were in front of him as he's saying that. He's like, hey, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. I mean, this is one of their greatest kings, right? Why was, he, why was Jesus greater than Solomon? He was greater than jo Solomon because he didn't just know and teach wisdom. Jesus Christ lived and loved wisdom. It's a, he, he loved her. He prized her. He embraced her. And so verse 9 says, she placed on his head a graceful garland and bestowed on him a beautiful crown. A beautiful life. 
He had a beautiful life because it was a life of wisdom. It was beautiful. Um, Jesus, as he was living here, um, is the eternally existent Son of God, fully God, fully man, right? As he lived in this place, he became a man like us. And as he lived his life here, we can see hints from the Gospels, that he lived his life, though God, he lived his life as a human son learning from his heavenly Father. We see that over and over again. We see in his earthly life that Jesus never leaned on his own understanding, but always trusted the Lord with his whole heart, right? In John 5, 19, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does also. So he was the Son that Adam should have been, right? He's the Son that we should be, sons, daughters that we should be. As he listened to the instruction of his father and he grew in wisdom. It says in Luke 2.52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And there's a bit of a mystery here, right? Because um, God, he's God and man. It's two natures, one person, right? And so in his deity, he doesn't have anything he can learn. But in his humanity, he learned in wisdom. I'm not going to explain how all that worked. But he did it. He, he increased in wisdom as he listened to the instructions of his father. In Hebrews uh, 5.8, it says that he learned. At each stage of his life, at each point of a new decision and a new challenge, he looked to his father, he heard his instruction, and he applied that wisdom. And, and, and part of that would have been reading and, and memorizing and meditating on this very book, the Proverbs, Right? And so when you read through the Proverbs and you hear, my son, listen to my instruction, Jesus would have heard that in his earthly life. He would have heard over and over again from his father, my son, listen to my instruction. And you know what he did? He listened to his instruction and he loved it and he applied it. And that's why you see the beautiful life that you see is because Jesus is the only person who could read the Proverbs and say, yes, I've done all that. Any of you guys find the Proverbs convicting? Proverbs are super convicting. He was able to read through it and see his life was an exact reflection of God's wisdom. Um, Jesus' life is what the Proverbs look like fully lived out. You see it in his gracious speech and the way he loved his enemies and the way he cared for the poor and the way he had his insightful teachings. You see a life that is beautiful in wisdom. Um, John Gerstner said this about uh, Jesus. He said, nothing Jesus does falls short. In fact, he is always surprising you always taking your breath away, because he is incomparably better than you could imagine for yourself. He is tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence, holiness and unbending conviction without the slightest lack of approachability. He's power without sensitivity, passion without prejudice. There is never a false step, never a jarring note. This is life at the highest. Amen? That's Jesus' life. That's wisdom lived out, and it's beautiful. It's super attractive. So love wisdom, love the Proverbs, because you love what you see in his life. Don't you love what you see in his life? And Jesus, as a teacher, today is inviting us to become his disciple, to learn from him through the Proverbs, to learn instruction from him. When you're learning from the Proverbs, you're not ultimately learning from Solomon. He wrote it down. You're learning from Jesus Christ, the one who lived it, the one who had the kind of beautiful life that you actually want for yourself, the greater Solomon, the one that was greater than Solomon. Love this book because of the beautiful life you see in Jesus, and you want that life for yourself. That's a reason to love this book. And there's another way that we can look at his wisdom, too, which is cool. I was just thinking about the wisdom of God in Christ. And there's another way we can look at that wisdom, not just in Jesus' life, but in the thing he came to do. 
Jesus came to do something in this world, in regular space-time, in the land of Israel. He came to do something that required more wisdom than creation. More wisdom than figuring out how, like, the double helix would work, or, you know, I'm going to make the moon and the sun these sizes, or here's the, the carbon cycle, all these things that he created. He had something to do that required more wisdom than even creation. It was his work of redemption. Because, guys, we've been cut off from this person. We've been cut off from this beautiful, wise person who can make our lives um, so much better. We're cut off from him because of our sin. And you guys can see your sin. I mean, I don't have to convince you that you're a sinner. Read the Proverbs. (laughs) If you can get through a chapter and a half of the Proverbs and still think you're not a sinner, you need to read that chapter and a half again, (laughs) okay? Like, there's just something wrong. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've cut ourselves off because of our sin. We have all been foolish. We read this and we've been foolish. And foolishness in the Proverbs isn't just stupidity. Foolishness in the Proverbs is evil. Because foolishness in the Proverbs is a rejection of the Father's instructions. Okay, so God, our Father, our Creator, the one who made us, has told us how to live, and we've decided to reject Him as Father. And and so that sin has put us in a place, that personal rejection, where we are cut off from God and eventually be cut off from all good. There is a real heaven, there is a real hell. And the thing that would take, keep us from heaven is our sin. A sin that constantly the Proverbs points out. And God is a just judge. It says in um, Proverbs 17, 15, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination. God, to God, it's an abomination that there be a judge that would let a guilty person off. So this should never happen. To him, it's an abomination. God is himself immovably just. Like he's, there's a justice that can't be compromised, and it's actually one of his great features. All of his features are great, and this one is great as well. He must judge sin. But you know what the cool thing is, for our sake, is he's also extremely merciful. He's extremely merciful, and he has deep, profound love for you. The kind of love that a father has for his children A kind of love that doesn't break when that child wanders away and rebels and wants nothing to do with you. That love almost intensifies with a longing to be reconciled. God has that kind of love for you. And so in his wisdom, he figured out a way to do this. Like this took real wisdom. You know, his justice here, his mercy and his desire to love you here. How can I bring these together? These people have sinned. They require judgment. And yet I want them as my children. I want them back. What will I do? And so at some point before the foundation of the world even, God had a design for how to solve this problem. What if a truly righteous one could take the place of the guilty? What if the sin could be paid for, but not by the person who did it? What if that could be done? And that is exactly what the Father came up with as a plan and the son volunteered for. Isn't that awesome? He volunteered. Jesus volunteered to put himself forth as a substitute. Um, We owed the debt, but only God could pay it. And so in Jesus Christ, we see God the son become a man to pay our human debt. And he paid it in full, guys. He paid it so that we could be received as sons and daughters. And so that's how he did what Romans 3 talks about, that he became both, he was both just and the justifier of those who believe in Christ. That he was able to be completely just in his judgment. The sin got judged. It got judged on the cross in Jesus. Every bit of it got judged. And yet he was able to let us off because it was paid. Justice and mercy, guys, kissed at the cross. There's no conflict between his justice and his mercy at the cross. It's an elegant solution. 
It's a way more elegant solution even than that whole thing with the plants and us. And like, that was an elegant solution. It was an elegant solution, some of the things that he's done in the world. The most elegant thing he's ever done, the most amazing display of his wisdom is at the cross where he found a way to receive us back as kids and also judge our sin. Jesus did this for us. And I just want to ask you today, there's some of you that may have not, but have you confessed your foolishness and rebellion against God and received that mercy? There's no reason not to. There's no downside here. I think one of the things that people think about when they think about coming to Christ is, you know, if I were to come to Christ, my life's got to change, right? That's true, okay? And I wouldn't say it that way as much as your life is going to change, and it's a gift of the gospel. You just realize that? Both forgiveness and freedom from sin are gifts of the gospel. What you get when you come to Christ is you repent of your sin, you get forgiven, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, God begins to build in you this kind of life. This beautiful life, a life that mirrors Jesus's. I don't see a downside here. Now, if you still are thinking, yeah, but there's things I don't want to give up. You know what that stuff is? Vomit. It really is. It's the vomit that's keeping you from the honey, right? It's the vomit that's keeping you from the treasure. Jesus is offering you forgiveness and the beautiful life that he himself will live through you. There is no downside to this, guys. What is the downside? Let's talk. You know, like God said, let us reason together. You know, let's talk about it. What's the downside? There's no downside to this. Repent of your sin and trust in him, and he will give you a new life. It's an awesome thing. And if, and if you haven't been baptized today, whether you got saved today or you had gotten saved before and you just haven't been baptized, let me know. We're going to do a baptism today. You could run home, grab your clothes, join us. When we baptize, we'd be super happy to do so. And then you would begin a new life as a disciple of Jesus, learning to live the kind of beautiful, wise life that he has. And we're all students in this, guys. I read the Proverbs, and I get beat up, okay, over and over again. I think like, oh, this is going well. And then it's like, oh, you know, like, and it's different things all the time. We are disciples. We're students. We're learning, okay? That's why we're called disciples. We're learning. We're learning to do the things he's commanded. And there's grace because of Christ in that. Let me just read this one last thing to you again. This is something I already read to you. I'm going to read to you again. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas in your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants and your loves and your longings. Let's pray. Father, we're ready. We are ready to lay down our own ideas about how to live our lives in this world that you've created, and you know how it works. We are ready, Lord, to stop leaning on our own understanding. Lord, we're ready to trust in your wisdom. And yet we do it so weakly, and we do it so half-heartedly, and we just pray, Lord, that more and more you'd give us a love for wisdom. Lord, wake us up. Stir us up. Lord, we want to be the kind of people that, you know, in a few weeks or whatever, we look back and we think, wow, where did this come from, this love of wisdom? And we'll realize it came from you. Make us lovers of your word, Lord. Make us lovers of your proverbs. Make us delight in your counsel. Make us delight in your reproof. There's so many passages in here about correction and reproof. And Lord, make us a people that love that, that when we're headed for the pit and you warn us, we like it. Lord, make us lovers of wisdom. We're fools. We're simple. Make us wise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.